Hello everyone, welcome to the Cyber Weekly. The Cyber Weekly is a podcast which talks about cyber security and all matters related to cyber with me, the Precious Sokela, and uh, Josephine, my co-host. I'm glad you made it. Josephine, how was your festive season? I was good, thanks, Leo. Um, happy New Year to you. I think all went, all went well, celebrated Christmas with family and uh, so the new year with firelight, uh, fireworks, so it was good. How about you? Oh, well, I did not feel fireworks already, but uh, yes, spending time with family is key during such periods, but not too much of a fireworks person anymore. <laughs> They're How great to look at. Uh, and I have a good view, so I had I had about more than ten fireworks that I could see. Um, so you just compare and contrast. Just enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> just enjoy yeah. the sight. Okay. So uh, there are two, two, three major stories we we'll have this week, and we'll be sharing the impressions. So I'll begin with the, I think you'll begin, then I'll, I'll follow along. Is that okay? Yeah, please go ahead. No, meaning you started the questions and I'll. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I, I can do that. So, um, yes, yeah, so, so today we're going to look at um, uh, Google incognito tracking. Um, pricing and cybersecurity and changes to be made in 2023 with regards to cybersecurity, and also to look at uh, how you know job job platforms for cybersecurity. But firstly, uh, they want to look at incognito mode. What is that about? Can you tell us about that? This is a funny feature which uh, came out some years back, and. Uh... Basically, what it does is people who want to browse privately would use that. And what happens is whenever you browse with it, it won't keep the search history on your machine, hypothetically. But yes, because most of the times when you check on your, when you're using incognito mode, uh, it's a, uh, I think let me first also go into how you're able to access it. So uh, in most browsers, it's like, I think it's control shift N for, for incognito mode. You go to the, the left, uh, the right side, those three, three horizontal dots, you click on it and it will give you an option of um, uh, browse privately or incognito. Uh, so many browsers have embraced it for quite some time, and it's very hard to find a browser nowadays which doesn't have it mode. So uh, that's basically how you can access incognito mode. And what sells incognito mode is the element of the information not being stored on your machine. So when
that uh, Google is a company which thrives and makes most of their money through advertisement. So when they brought up the incognito mode, people expected that the fact that you're saying it's incognito, I don't expect my information to be tracked in any way. So that's where issues are coming in. Google having to find a way to make money and also someone from the outside be like, ah, you know what? You said it's private. You said it is not supposed to be shared or monitored in any way. So why am I getting the same requests even if I'm in cognitive mode? So So, um, so the thing is, uh, yeah, that's the thing about it. So, the fact that Google is a company which deals with marketing, and that's where their main source of income is coming from. It was kind of controversial in a way that they are not keeping their end of, you know, ensuring that she is not tracking me when I'm using incognito mode. So yeah, that's that's basically it. Yeah, and bec and because of that, um, there's a class action lawsuit that was filed in twenty in June twenty twenty, and uh, which sought five billion dollars in damages. I imagine that there's the settlement terms are not disclosed, <clears throat> but I think yeah. Google uh, um, agreed to settle that lawsuit. Yeah, uh, that information has been disclosed, but definitely for a company like Google, they'll try as much as possible to make sure that information like that uh, is key. Like, they they have to, you know, with a, a large organization like Google, they have to look at all the dynamics related to having a particular service available. And they have to also look at uh, how do you ensure that you maintain visibility at the same time maintain competitive advantage. So those are all things they look at when they come to such situations. And uh, I feel uh, when you're using a service like uh, incognito mode, I think people think it's a superpower. It's like... Uh, using maybe like a Tor browser that you you find that you don't expect to be tracked or something like that. But the truth being is, uh, as long as you are on your same network and uh, you're not using like any sort of private browser, I mean, a VPN or a Tor browser combined, it's very hard for you to start saying that, you know what, I am not being by any organization because our IP address can still be linked to us. And uh, the fact that you have been using that same IP address over and over, meaning that it's still connected to you. The only benefit of it being is if, like let's say you're on a club, uh, let's say you go to an internet cafe or something like that, and you want to browse something, that would be more beneficial in that way that you're not worried that 
when you go off the machine or close the browser, you're not worried that your information is still stored on that machine. So that's the biggest benefit I would say for for incognito mode. Yeah, I think ultimately though, if and and uh, obviously that's why Google lost out on this lawsuit. If if you do say it's incognito, then it really should be incognito. So you do, you are essentially advising us that we can we should have some confidence in using it. Is that right? Yes, you should have confidence in using it, but uh, I have to not think of it like a, a silver bullet for everything. That's that's my my caution when it comes to to that. Okay. Okay. So that's that's all I had on uh, on the Google uh, on the incognito mode. Okay. Uh, now I think we'll go to the next, which is uh, uh, choosing the price tag for the intangible assets is quite usually difficult for many. And mm -hmm. uh, I would like you to shed a light on it because uh, from, you know, software uh, to, yeah, basically the software, especially, you have a program, you have to understand it, and uh, you, you want to make sure you keep some money on you, definitely. And also you have to make sure that uh, employees are paid and all that. Well, those key things you usually consider uh, when you're making such uh, arrangements and uh, how do you usually, you know, manage the costs when it comes to such things? Okay, so you're asking how to price the intangible assets? How I would yeah. price it? Yes, exactly. Yeah, okay, so yeah, you're, you're right that um, it's not easy to price intangible assets. Uh, of course, unlike uh, tangible assets which are physical uh it's 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 easier to it's not easy because i mean a physical asset you know what it is looks you can material costs and things like that but intangibles are a bit abstract and sometimes it's like it's hard to to hold it for instance and um and the how you how you value it is is, is quite subjective uh but there's, there's some uh, factors that you can consider i think it depends on the type of um of asset that you're looking at, um, like, uh, you know, is it, what is it that you're trying to price? Because obviously if it is, if it is intellectual property, it's a patent or whatever, it could be goodwill, it could be your brand, it could be your customer relationships, that, that, that will have to help, uh, that will determine how you price it. Um, and then if that tangible, intangible asset is, is for instance, something that, gives you a competitive advantage over others, then perhaps you can, it can have a higher value and you need to also look at the future benefits. Um, I think um, it's how you value it, I think depends, as, as I said, on the asset. Um, and then, you know, it, it also depends on, on, on other factors like what, what does the market what does the market say? So how does this asset compare to other assets that have been sold or, or they've been traded? Uh, so you need to look at what, how can I, how can I see something that's comparable as an asset and then value it accordingly? Um, and then what does that asset generate for you in terms of income or the future 
what is the future uh, uh, cost, I mean, the future cash flows that the asset will generate. Um, and then you can, you know, you can also look at what is the cost of replacing the asset because then that can tell you what the value is. Um, and I think really it's it's a it's a difficult question to ask uh, because um, it's very subjective. But I would say that that is how you would look at it. Uh, and of course, people different uh, people different companies price their intangible assets differently. Um, and you know, there's a risk and uncertainties around it because if you, if for instance, you're looking at your brand and then your brand suddenly gets hit by a reputational issue, then you know, you, you it could easily um, lose the value of that asset. Um, and then, of course, there are regulatory restrictions because there are some assets that can that can be that are not considered can be that should not be given a value. Um, um, but I think, yeah, it's hard to to answer this question. But I think some of those factors: what is the type of the asset? What is how? What does the market? How does the market see it? I think that's that can help in terms of how you can put a price on an intangible asset. Oh, thank you for that. Now, um, I want to now look at it in the angle of um, someone who is who's beginning or in the industry. And uh, if you notice that uh, our cybersecurity industry is, uh, is more learning a lot from the IT industry because uh, we are playing catch up to one would say. So, yeah. um, but still you find that there are very few people in the industry. So our comparison should be more IT related because that's the area which is similar to us. So when you look at it in an IT perspective, uh, we have uh, people who, let's say, yeah, in the industry and you want to, you know, break through. And there are issues concerning uh, um, salaries and uh, how do you manage asking for, you know, salary bump or, yeah, joining and maybe it's required to, you know, not have a very high exorbitant salary, which will, which will become a problem for someone. So uh, how do you usually money such situations because I'm guessing the fact that you've worked for this number of companies and organizations definitely have had those issues here and there and um, yes I would like to know how you would manage them I think it's it's hard to uh, I, I look at it from two aspects I think the first mm -hmm. one is um, maybe at the time that you're joining a company how you, you the question I would probably ask is how do you um, how do you set yourself? How do you do your salary negotiations? I think that's one one aspect. And then the second aspect is if you're selling your services, how do you price them? I think that those are the two questions I'd ask if that I'd answer if that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. So I think the first one it is uh, a lot harder to 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 price because a lot of companies already have a price that they're willing that they that they have a that they can cap a position at. So sometimes it's a, if you're entering a position, you're new to the market, it's very difficult. Uh, you've just graduated, for instance, it's very difficult to start demanding for a huge salary. What's important is to um, understand what value you bring, but also to understand what the market is offering. Um, so that when you, when you go into a salary negotiation, you're not asking something that is outside of the market. So the advice generally is that you start perhaps at the top of the market. Um, 
and 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 sometimes they do ask for um sometimes you have the option of of negotiating negotiating your salary sometimes you don't uh, because you know when you apply for a job it some often says it's 1 million a month or whatever and that is it right um yeah. then it doesn't leave you much room for negotiation but of course if you're if you're coming from uh, if you have some experience uh, and perhaps you can add more value to that role you could potentially you know start by asking for a little bit more and say you know based on my experience in this industry or based on my qualifications, I think this is what I deserve. It's, it's important that you start um, higher than things because you're always going to negotiate downwards. But so for, for that, for that, um, for that, for, you know, when you're coming into a role, established company, perhaps less, less room for negotiation. But for, for now, if you're a consult, you'll have your own company and you want to, you're starting out and you want to to set a value for yourself. So it's a, more, a bit trickier, but obviously you need to be doing a lot more in terms of your um, understanding what your value is because it's your company now. You have to look at what your costs are. You know what are your overhead costs? Uh, what is your time and expertise? How do you value your time and expertise? And then uh, what are you delivering in terms of value? Also, you need to obviously research the market, look at what the rates of people who are doing the similar thing that you're doing are is and consider the size and budget of your clients. Not every client is going to be able to pay you what you want. Some clients are bigger, others small. So small businesses obviously have much more uh, sensitivity to pricing than the larger ones. And and look at all the rates, look at uh, job boards, what consulting rates are. And then if you're starting out, obviously, there is competition, so you you need to look at um, different pricing modules that can that that can uh, perhaps make it easier for the company to retain you. You know, perhaps give um, a project do based on a project. Perhaps look at retainer agreements. Um, look at our our rates, but you need to be definitely willing to be flexible uh, because yeah. you want the business. Um, obviously, you're, the initial price, yes, you've thrown so many terms, but you've them okay. Then let me finish this and then you can uh, we can discuss those. So, if you if you obviously, this your, your initial price is normally what you start with, but uh, you need to be prepared to negotiate. That's why it's sometimes it's better to start a little bit higher, uh, and then negotiate a little bit to to, to really where you want, but. Look at uh, how you can attract a client. You know, perhaps um, give uh, discounts. You get a new client and all that. Um, but it's it's definitely um, important that you understand the value that you're bringing, but that you're willing to be able to negotiate and to be flexible. Understand what the market is also charging. Yeah. Okay. So uh, there was terms you through, especially for. The choosing a salary and all that. Uh, could you please elaborate them more? Which which terms are those? The I are something raises and something. Else. Did I talk about I are? Hmm. I don't think they were. Hmm. I failed to pick it up. <laughs> I hope I, I I don't know. I didn't. I I, I thought I didn't. Um. Did I talk about IR? Okay. Um, maybe the, 
I was I don't know if I talked about the value proposition or is that something that you because I'm not really sure where, where which term you're asking me to uh, explain. You're talking about the terms which uh, are involved, like key things which you should look out for, especially when it comes to deciding your salary and uh, the different boards and all that. So you highlighted some when I told you that. Uh, could you elaborate more on those, those terms which you have mentioned? Then you're like, ah, uh, I mean, let me finish. Yeah, but I mean, if you don't tell me what the time is, it's difficult for me to remember. Um, yeah. Because I did talk about uh, value proposition, um, hourly rates, how, how you can do your different pricing models. Um, but I don't really, I can't really pinpoint which which term it is exactly that you want me to explain. Perhaps we can uh, we, we can review this and, and talk about that later. Okay. Uh, now, uh, when it comes to okay, let's start with maybe value proposition. What's it all about? Uh, value proposition is is what value you're bringing. Uh, you know. If you're present, if you're looking at your your value, you need to be able to the client, for instance, needs to be able to understand what what it is that you're solving for them. What problem are you solving for them? I think, uh, and how much do you improve their their how much do they benefit? How much do you improve their bottom line or save them time? So if you are, if you're not able to kind of quantify that, then it's difficult to justify your pricing. Yeah. Because you can say, oh, I'm a consultant, I'm at 10,000, um, I, I charge 5,000 a month. But what what is the benefit of that 5,000 to the client? If you cannot articulate that in terms of the value that you're bringing and the worth, and to justify that, then it's difficult. For, it will be difficult for the clients to retain you. So that's a, the value proposition. Okay. Yeah. So when it comes to management, uh, uh, I know you always uh, have budgets which uh, come from the, the technical team. And uh, what are those things which you usually seek out? And the, I know when you you're transitioning from the education perspective to actually you know doing the stuff, you know you have to come up with those figures, and sometimes it's usually challenging especially if you're getting started and uh, they're telling you, okay, there is this project we need and uh, we need you to come up with a budget. So how do you usually go about with that? I think yeah, with, with the a technical project, background. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so I'm assuming you, I'm being presented with a budget. Um, is that what you're saying? You're yeah. presenting a budget yeah. and I'm, yeah. I want to know whether it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I yeah. think looking at it, so I'm assuming this is a, a budget for a project. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, so I think the um first thing is what is is the project really align aligning with with the business, with my business objectives? Because there are many projects, right? They can have many projects, but I think it's important that the project is talking to the objectives of the business um yeah and what the business is trying to achieve yeah so then looking at what does does the budget really 
does the budget can the budget really support the objectives of the project and will it be able to deliver what is expected so we need to make sure that the budget being the resource is sufficient to support the project objectives but obviously the project has to make sense to the business um Another thing that I'd look at is, is it a really clear and concise budget? Um, I think you need, you need to look at, the, uh, look at the costs and see if they make sense and if they are realistic. Um, is it, is it, have this, has enough work been done that it's, it makes sense, some of the figures make sense? You don't want anything vague or anything like that because then it means not enough work has been done in preparing for the project. For the project. Does the... One of the, in technology especially, one of the things that uh, budgets often miss is is the the maintenance cost, because the total cost of ownership of something. So if you're, for instance, purchasing software, often you would see a budget where it's just the cost of the software. But sometimes there's no training, there's no the maintenance cost of it, because sometimes some of sometimes software, for instance, is, is um is requires uh, annual maintenance fee or things like that or uh, an initial support cost or so i think make sure that it's a complete budget making sure that the budget is complete in terms of the cost because if you approve a cost which is uh, under under planned then you'll definitely have a budget overrun because some of the costs had not been anticipated um and and it, you know it needs to be a budget where you've looked at things that can go wrong, what is contingency in the budget, if you're just looking at uh, exact cost of things, but you've not planned for some costs for contingencies, uh, maybe something that might not be an ups over, uh, might not have been foreseen, then, then, then you could potentially have a budget run, uh, overrun. Um, other things in terms of the projects, I think I would say, um, does it really, does this project really deliver what we want? Uh, is it feasible? You know, is it being re really realistic? Is it achievable within this the 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 project timeline that that is there in the plan? Uh, are there some unrealistic um, assumptions? What are the risks that have been uh, highlighted, and what are the plans to mitigate those? Um, and 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 does everybody the stakeholders are the stakeholders really sold on on in this in this uh, project because if if stakeholders who are going to be part of, part of the project and don't know about the project have not been involved in the planning for it then it's unlikely that uh, the project can will be successful so I think those are um, those are the things I would look out for. Um... So uh, as we wind down, I would like to know what are the things you key things you would want to see in uh, the change in the cybersecurity space this year. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, I think in the cyberspace, I think I have a long wish list. Uh. But some of the top ones, I think, are around data privacy. Obviously, I think it's it's important that uh, there's stronger laws are there to protect uh, big data, uh, uh, especially when it regards personal information. I know we've been talking, for instance, about Google Incognito, and 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 the fact that Google had to pay uh, settle a lawsuit 
I think it's important that they are data protection laws uh, are better implemented and that we're looking at protecting personal data. Um, perhaps more uh, training and awareness around um, around um, around the use of data because I think there is also a lot of uh, online and um, online harassment and discrimination, uh, especially of you know of uh, female. Uh, people, so I think it, it's important that um, that 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 is that is continues to happen. Uh, and I, I talked about promoting digital literacy and inclusion and education. I think that's important. Um, I think there's a too much too much in, in terms of uh, misinformation and disinformation on 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 things. So perhaps more responsibility around that. Um, um, perhaps something about. Uh, ethical AI and algorithms. I think those are kind of the things, but there's a long list of things that I'd like to see. Uh, and hopefully that's something that will be, in the new year will happen, will we'll start, will happen even more. I know it's been happening, but hopefully okay. something that will continue to happen. Okay. So uh, now when it comes to application for jobs, uh, uh, we have shared uh, some uh, links to, I mean, some information of different uh, areas where someone can uh, actually, you know, go and uh, access these different uh, careers. One of them being the one of Google, where you can uh, and go to careers.google.com where you'll be able to, to register and uh, yeah, it usually takes some time, definitely. That uh, you'll have to wait and, um, yeah, uh, just fill in the information, add your CVs, everything, and yeah, wait for it. Then the diversity careers option, if you're a diversity member, you can simply use that portal to, you know, apply for jobs. Then Cyber SN, uh, it's, it's more like uh, ZipRecruit and uh, and LinkedIn jobs, so they some of them would require you to redirect the website itself and apply from there. So it's more something like that. Then uh, LinkedIn jobs, uh, if you use LinkedIn, there's that option of jobs, so you can choose to actually opt into that. Then Dice is also a good one, so you just. Uh, Basically, all of them require you placing your profile there. Then, uh, yes, waiting for apply to several them, and uh, you get to also look through their what they require, the requirements are. And I believe that would be beneficial. Uh, Joseph, do you have anything to say about that? Uh, no, I think it's it's just a very good. Um good uh, resources. Um, personally, I think LinkedIn has been, for me, a very good resource. Um, I think there's, I've got a lot of contacts, uh, especially job-related through LinkedIn. But I think what's important with LinkedIn is to make sure that you have an up-to-date profile um, that is, you know, that talks to the job areas that you're looking at. Um, that's been my experience. I don't know if you've, if, if, uh, you can talk a little bit about your experience of many of these sites, if you have, especially Cyversity. Uh, well, for, uh, for uh, LinkedIn, it 
for cybersecurity, it's basically they have a portal, it's not so different to join of LinkedIn. So you just go. Uh, you already set up your your profile. By your profile, meaning your name, your word, your CV. So when you're submitting, you just apply to that. Use that same information to apply to several jobs. So yeah, that's basically it. If there's any other information, maybe if they would want, you can also add that. But that's how they usually work. Yeah, but I do think that the good thing is the demand for jobs is is not just is uh, especially cybersecurity is um those skills are really required globally. So I think those are very good resources to have. But otherwise, yeah, nothing, nothing to think, nothing further on that. Yeah, I guess that's it for this week. Yeah. I look forward to seeing you in the next one. Yeah, thank good. you so much, Theo. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks.